When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello, Rockers, and welcome to this week's episode of the podcast, the rugby podcast from The Times and, and Sunday Times. We've reached the halfway stage of the Gallagher Premiership season. Joining me in the studio is Alan Dimmock, features editor of Rugby World magazine, and Stephen Jones, a man who needs no introduction. And coming up on the pod uh, is Ross Hamilton, former analyst for England and Saracens, who will talk us through all the statistical and tactical trends that he's spotted in this first half of the season. Um, gents in the studio, good morning, Al. Good morning, Steve. Hang on, I want an introduction. You want an introduction? Yeah, we say, I don't want to sit here every week and say, needs no needs introduction. Because no at oh. the end of it, people are wondering, who the hell's this? Yeah, I don't think anyone's going to wonder that. All right. Um, <laughs> okay, Stephen Jones, multi-award winning <laughs> correspondent for the Sunday Times uh, and Tottenham fan. That's a bit better. Well better. Thank you very much. Are you proud of both of those things or...? Uh, yes, uh, not too good when we were 1-0 <laughs> down to Morecambe, though, I'll tell you that. I have to say, there was a lot of mirth about that around the Rico. Oh, yeah, it's very the funny, Rico, yeah. it's the Coventry Building Society <laughs> Stadium. Listen, try having an affinity for Newcastle United, it's difficult <laughs> sitting here with that. <laughs> go, go on Cambridge, eh? Um, so other than the FA Cup, what, what rugby did we see this weekend, Steve? Were you, uh, where were you? Well, I, I saw three games. I, I, I saw Bristol on uh, Friday which I thought was a wonderful, not a brilliant, all-round brilliant game, but con- tremendous conclusion and absolutely fascinating. On Sunday, uh, Saturday, I was at Stoop, uh, pouring with rain, but you wouldn't have known it with a standard of play. Um, Stuart Barnes' love child, Marcus Smith, kicked a penalty. <laughs> uh, sorry, kicked, he should write a column about him. Kicked a, he should do. Kicked a conversion to win the game, therefore giving Barnsley the excuse to say that Marcus Smith won the game. Well, he kicked the conversion. He certainly didn't win the game. Uh, and thirdly, yesterday, uh, on TV only, I'm afraid, I watched a great game between Watson and Leicester. So, uh, uh, honestly, a tremendous Premiership weekend. And we forget during COVID that I don't think the Premiership has ever been so good. Yeah, I, I, I'd agree with that. I mean, we've, we say it most weeks on here that, that the league has never been stronger. And, and some, of the, some of the matches, but also the, the narratives, that, that, that Bristol sale game that we talked about, there were two teams there who are massively underperforming compared to what what they what we thought they would do and what their resources should be allowing them to do. So there was a lot on the line in, in, in that one game alone because they needed to, to kick start this sort of second half of the of the season and and try and find themselves again and, and Bristol I thought did show that. Um 
sales still struggling. Yeah, I think I think we'll get into it in a, a lot more detail, but uh, certainly there are some teams that are delighted to get that first half of the season away and will probably banish it to the bin of their minds and there are other teams that are rearing to go. Uh, plenty to chat about at the, at the halfway point, of winners and losers and all that, and we'll, we'll jump right into it. I'm just looking forward to us batting it back and forth like a game of kick tennis. Like the 17-kick <laughs> phase that we saw in the championship the other, the other week. Um, was it Jersey Reds and Bedford Blues? 17 kicks. Yeah. But then there was there was a sublime try scored in that game later on, which hasn't had anywhere near as many views on on social media. Funnily enough, I'm all for it. Brinkmanship. Imagine the neck of the crowd. You're going gun like this at the end of it. You're bleeding. Ne- I was thinking. I was thinking of the of the big front row lads who, by the end, were just standing on the halfway line waiting for yeah. the chatting waiting. to each other. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right. Well, that's all to come on the right. We've got Premiership chat. We've got Ross Hamilton. We have Jess Hayden giving her her update on on the uh, Allianz Premier 15s and our usual weekly God or Goddess of the Week feature. Right, so we've hit the halfway stage, and, and as we said just now, that so many different narratives at play, so many compelling games um, across the, the Premiership weekend. Let, let's start at the stoop in, in the rain, Steve, because one of the, the, the stats that struck me from from last season was, was Harle- when Harlequins went on their run, which was a, started about now all the way through to the final. They didn't play one wet weather game, and they they ended up having to to, to come back in a in a sort of, a sort of southwest London monsoon on on Saturday. How, how did they do it? What, what caught your eye? We, we know what caught Stuart Barnes's eye. Well, so, first of all, it's a very very good point. It, it was really monsoon like, but you had to you had to really scratch your head because normally uh, in years gone by, not that long ago, if it was pouring with rain, you would then assume automatically that it was going to be a poor game. This one, you actually forgot it was it was it was raining. There was there were a lot of kicks up in the air for position because it was always a tight game, but. Um, the, the the idea that you you're disadvantaged when you got a man off the field, uh, which Exeter did at half time, that's slightly in abeyance as well because Exeter were very very uh, unfortunate in my opinion not to win because the second half the way they managed it was absolutely brilliant and they only allowed one real phase of of attack in the last twenty minutes so that was the one where um, they scored mm. where they scored the winning try so. I tell you what, it was a tremendous game. I thought Exeter was superb. I thought Quinns have got a real... First of all, the the, the, the atmosphere there. When Those of us who've been going to Quinns for 300 years and there used to be real two-man-and-a-dog thing, the atmosphere was absolutely unbelievable. It was like being at Pontypool Park in the old days or, 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 or whatever. Um, but, you know, there was so much fascination. You could see why Marcus Smith and Alex Dombrandt are highly rated, but in my opinion, you could also see why they are not shoe-ins for the, for the team because they had strengths and weaknesses. I, I just think that um, um, Exeter are really close to being back, but not quite. Uh, if they, w- they would have won with 14, had they been at their best. But a fantastic premiership afternoon, great day out, and, and no doubt a few drinks afterwards. You know what I love about just even just this introduction to that game here is the fact that we're talking about how entertaining and fun it was and at no point has anyone gone, oh, the red card. The red card ruined it as a contest. I, I hate when people say that uh, and this game proved that that was a cup of hot horlicks because just it was blood and thunder, as Steve says, in the second half and there was lots of intrigue to, to where it was going. But that was a stuck-on red card. Uh, Hepburn deserved to go uh, and, and not come back. Um 
for those that didn't see it, it was almost like a, a pile driver from WWE into the yeah. ground with Joe Marler's neck and he was lucky to avoid injury. I, th- I think there was shades of 2005 Lions tour, wasn't it, with, with that and, and getting hoisted up by two guys and dropped on his head. Um, but exceptional game and it, it's interesting. It's funny, we've spoken on this podcast quite a few times in recent weeks about um, where important important players and transfers and teams keeping hold of guys well this weekend I think more than any other showed how important it is to have guys that can kick points and realistically it was a a missed kick there was three kicks that were the difference in this game now uh, you know Marcus Smith hoisted over a couple that were were missed uh, that could have led to potential tries in the end he he, he got the crossfield kick to Esther Hazen which led to try phenomenal play right at the death and then kicked a beautiful curling effort from the touchline to win it on the other side Joe Simmons missed the kick that that would have potentially meant that this was a draw um, beforehand. And actually, it shows you the value of that. So it had everything. I think it was fantastic. Well, I think Stuart was right, Steve, in in identifying Smith is particularly his his ambition, his desire to to keep attacking when the pressure's on. We saw it in that South Africa game. Not dissimilar circumstances in that South Africa had piled on England and England were in a deep hole and they played their way out of it to win that game. And that's what I felt in, the, in those closing stages, that they didn't go into their shell and, and, and try and um, batter their way over the line. He, he, he created those opportunities by, I wouldn't say chancing his arm, because he's got the skill set to, to execute it, but he found, he found a way to win the game. And, and that attitude is what impresses me. Uh, possibly I think he has got a great attitude but I think he will always make mistakes and the other thing is in we're, we're all, all sitting together we were thinking look Exeter got eight forwards they they, they, they replaced a forward and they mm. took away a back and for God's sake why aren't the Quinns trying to take them on behind and the kick the, the kick to uh, Esterhuizen, which which won the game, was way overdue because they 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 were back short. So all he had to do was drive it a little bit, and Esterhuizen could have caught the ball and and gone over if he'd hailed a taxi. So um, that that was odd. I, I, look, I think that with Marcus Smith, there'll always be a debate. He's always going to win games, and I think he has got the capacity to lose them as well. It's um, that that whole fly half um, debate will continue. Now England named their squad on uh, January the 18th for the Six Nations. Owen Farrell won't have played a game by that point and we're, we're back in the in the situation with him as we were a year ago where he hasn't played. He hasn't played since November. George Ford has played um, and you would imagine, especially if they can secure a, a bigger squad, which Eddie Jones is trying to because of, of the COVID issues that, that all teams are going to face, that maybe there might be room for George to come back in. We, we'll wait and see, but it... The debate won't end for exactly the reasons you you point out, Steve. No, no, no it, it won't. I mean, look, I'm afraid that uh, I see the point with COVID. But for God's sake, at some time, Eddie has got to make some choices, mm. not just put everybody in. So the problem is, but if, if his we, choice if, is Marcus Smith, if we if we well, if we extend the squad, then he'll be able to get fiddle more choices in. I think that uh, the choice is probably um, between uh, well. The choice, in my opinion, is between Marcus Smith and, and Owen Farrell. Will Owen Farrell uh, finally be deserted after all the loyalty that's been shown to him? And it's a great uh, uh, conundrum. I don't know what you think, Al, but Owen, Owen has got no form whatsoever, and he will be uh, put in. I admire the bloke massively and always have, but he will be chosen on 
his last great performance, which is a long, long time ago. So has Eddie really got the bottle now to leave out Owen Farrell? It's as simple as that. Yeah, and uh, uh, well, the key point for me there is that Steve said there'll always be debate, and thank God for that because how boring would this game be if it was all full of certainties? Um, and certainly games like that. I mean, we talked about how magnificent this Premiership weekend was because there were so many tight games, because there were so many close calls. And I don't know if you could sense a theme coming from me, lads, but there's um, in terms of the kicks that changed the game. I, We'd switched to Saracens, and Steve mentioned that they didn't have Owen Farrell. Alex Lozowski is an incredible player, and they're delighted to keep their hands on him, and he's he's a phenomenal talent. But again, a couple of kicks from him that went awry was the difference between winning and losing that game. Mm. All credit to Gloucester, and what a season they've had. And I'm sure we can dig into, uh, into later on in our chat with Ross, we can dig into what it is that Gloucester do and that, that makes them so so good, and it's. We we talk about line-out drives and how important they are, and certainly they've made an art form of that, and and certainly they're more than just that. There's a great togetherness with that squad at the moment. But if Saracens had clipped a, a couple of kicks, they would have been the difference. And Owen Farrell was watching from the stands, and my God, they probably wish they had him on the field. Yeah, yeah. It goes back to one of the conversations we had after that South Africa game, actually, where a lot of people said, "Oh, England only won because so that because Pollard missed some kicks." Well, that's part of the game. That's wrong. Really you don't. Um, yeah. And and so on, on to. Onto that Gloucester game, Saracens 24, Gloucester 25. Um, it's a statement win for Gloucester, isn't it? Does that not sort of validate all the all the progress that they've made yes. this season? A lot of it's sort of gone slightly under the radar, I think. They've, they found themselves in the upper reaches of the league without people almost realising how well they're playing. And, and this... This has really thrust them right into the headlines. It's it's the sort of result they've been looking for for yeah, years, yeah. for years. Well, Thirteen just, years, just yeah, exactly. Since two thousand and eight was the last time they won away to yeah. Saracens. So, yeah. I yeah. mean, phenomenal. And the thing is, is that there's not fireworks going off and heralds marching down the street. To, to think about this, it's just sort of like, well, we'll just continue cracking on with with business as it's gone with Gloucester at the moment. And it's you don't want to say they're they're unflashy because that's unfair but they've they've sort of there's something craftsman like about the way that they've they've eked out wins and, and beaten teams like Saracens this season I mean I, I say that they're more than just a mall but it's bloody effective oh. when they do use it yeah is Herald's going down the street we've gone back to the Tudor times <laughs> it, I mean, take off your rough what, what I like about the way they've gone about it is yeah, they've built they've built this this rolling mall which is phenomenally effective um, but they've also got threats out wide, so you you can't just pile in everything to stop them all because standing at, standing out wide, you've got Hastings, you've got Harris, you've got Atkinson, you've got Zamet, uh, May. You know they, they've got so many threats that that they, as a defending team, you really you, you've got to you've got to try and work out how to spread your resources when you against the most effective rolling mall in the league and a bat line that can cut you apart. And and, and just to add to that, the way that they've the coaching team have built it. It's a, it's a young coaching team with you know, Dominic Waldock in charge of defence, and George Skivington as DOR, and, and Alex King has brought a bit more experience over with him from from France. It's you know they they've over the course of eighteen months or so have forged a, a really effective unit. It, it, I tell you what, it also shows that you know you either you either bring in six coaches from six different areas like Eddie Jones, or or you bring in a, a, your own group. But th- this is people where George Gibbonson has really plucked from here and there. And th- it looks like, as far as we know, as you say, um, Alex, it looks like it's bedded down really well. Mm. I've always had this thing that with Gloucester, that they've always got this thing of getting away from what Gloucester's all about and, uh, and, 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 and trying to play a 
attack in rugby, but on no basis. Now I think that they need their one or maybe two forwards short, really big, tough forwards up front of being a, a, a title uh, contending team. I really do. And I think George Givington has done an excellent job. And I've always said I will uh, hope before I retire uh, that Gloucester, uh, I will be able to report on Gloucester Unashamedly, I say this: Gloucester winning the title because I think they're a great club and always have been. On, on the that sort of traditions line, do you think how much of the shed were fearful when they relayed the pitch and put a an astroturf field down at King's Home that that would be you know that would take the, the club they'd be out trying to play all this fancy stuff and actually as it's happened they've laid down an astro pitch and they're mauling it they more did, than ever they didn't tell the shed they, don't, they haven't realised <laughs> they supplied me this pitch is not cutting up at all no they, they didn't tell them. They just, they just said it's, it's, it's sort of light green grass, it's real grass. The shed didn't realise. <laughs> so let's, let's stay in, in the in the West Country and that, that Bath, Bath-Worcester game. You talk about red cards, Al, um, not uh, ruining a match. I mean, but Bath scraped home 22-19 against the Worcester side who spent 78 minutes with 14 men yeah I, I, I do feel for Rory Sutherland who's uh, before the game I think he went on social media and said it would be great to get a run of games together for the team I've spent too much time in and out like the hokey cokey with injury he didn't say that I'm paraphrasing but um, with, with injury it'll be good and two minutes into the game he got a red card but so close am I right in thinking that's 211 days since uh, Bath last won a game yeah I mean yes. incredible stuff like you know, great. Um, the, you could feel the, relent, the the relief coming off people in Bath like steam after that one. Um, certainly, uh, you know, a, a good way to start the new year. They'll be absolutely buzzing to get that in. But as with Bath all season, they made hard work of it. Mm. It was a day right, mm. um, earlier in the day. I'd seen the clip from the Bangladesh New Zealand Test match where the I can't remember who, which batsman it was. Yeah, he he got a, he scored a seven anyway. He, three to the boundary and then four overthrows, and it felt like that as Bath yesterday. They they, they won they won the game and then got awarded two points from yeah. from an earlier game and and finished the day. They started the day on four points in the league and finished it on ten. Don't look a gift pandemic in the mouth, no. <laughs> <laughs> lads. Do we we we? I'm, I'm sure we united in in disagreeing with the Southern Hemisphere thing where you can come uh, after whatever it is ten or fifteen minutes when someone's been sent off. You can bring on another player. I have to say, after two minutes, just wonder whether you t- tend a little bit, or a little bit more sympathetic. It's totally—I'm I, sorry, I'm not seeing the incident. It's totally Worcester's fault if they lose a man. But then you think, God, seventy-eight minutes. Should there just be some sort of? I, I just slightly—I'm so not agreeing with it, but I slightly saw the point um, of what they do in the Southern Hemisphere. It's—it's it, it's an interesting discussion for me. I think. If if you transgress, you deserve to be splapped, and it's, and but also again thinking about it, what makes this this game great is for a start, you know there was three points in it, regardless. That's you know Alex said earlier, you didn't make your kicks. Oh, that's part of the game. You got to suck yeah. it up and deal with it. Uh, and in this one, think of how incredible it would be for the club if they'd come through and won that. I've got a red card a couple of minutes in. Like that would be, we'd be talking about that for ages, and and, and certainly. I sometimes think in the back of my head, we're gu- I'm guilty, personally guilty of not talking enough about Worcester and 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 digging into them enough. But if they'd won that, certainly they would deserve to have a lot more chat. Um, as as it is, we already had a storyline with Bath Bath getting the win, and w- there was another stat about them uh, that I think you were passed on, Alex, about them and them and Leicester Tigers. Oh yeah, so w- Will Keller, who joins us at the Times today, today is his first day, Monday. 
messaged me during the the Leicester game yesterday. Uh, I was up in in Coventry, which yeah, so Sunday was the first time since April the eighteenth, twenty twenty one, where Bath had won and Leicester had lost on the same Premiership weekend, and that was only because Bath beat Leicester twenty one twenty on that on that occasion back in in spring twenty twenty one. Um, I mean, it's uh, it, you know, Bath have won and uh, Leicester. Bath have won their first game of the season. Leicester have lost their first game of the season. They're still stuck. Leicester Tigers are still slap bang at the top of the Premiership table, eight points ahead. Bath are still rock bottom. But I don't know. Do you think for Leicester that this is a this is maybe a, a good thing that they you know they can't crack on thinking they're invincible? That actually maybe this is the boot at the backside. That, I did. Not that they need one, but you know it, it can help. Just well on 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 the the Bath thing first. I think. Um, in, in a lot of ways, Worcester will take more out of that game than Bath because of the fight they showed. Bath needed that win, as we said, they needed it. I don't think they played in a way that will have have, have convinced them that everything's everything's fine and dandy down at the wreck. I mean, it, it took them a long time to put away a a fourteen man spirited Worcester team, um, and then up in up in Coventry, I was thinking that as we talked to Steve Borthwick afterwards, that. I've seen I've seen Leicester win late a lot this season, and it almost felt inevitable that they were going to do it again. And I just think sometimes, like you, Thanos, so, so, yeah, so, sometimes you just need it. You almost need that reality check to realise that you. That sometimes you've got to fight for everything, and, and, I'm, and I'm not saying they weren't fighting for it, but you can't you can't assume it's going to happen every time. And sixteen, uh, fifteen wins in a row, um, they were one short of of matching the record from. From eighty three, eighty four, when that Leicester team started their season with sixteen straight wins, and listen again, missed kicks. George Ford missed two very kickable penalties in the first half, which could have seen off Wasps yeah. actually. But, uh, on, but, on, but on the other side, and I know that this is playing to the Gary a little bit. I can, I can see Steve out the corner of my eye here. Is what an incredible steward Jimmy Gopperth is. You know, like that's a Wasps team that's. I, I, I saw some people say fifteen. I saw some people say sixteen players out. Yeah. Frontline players. They had injuries in the warm up and all that. But thirty-eight-year-old Jimmy Gopperth just sort of marshalling things uh, around the game. And there's a. I, I once heard Steve Jones say o- over a lunch that if you could pick a, a player to kick 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 a goal to try and win it at the end, Jimmy Gopperth is right up there. And thank God that they've got that bit of experience in there with all the the turmoil that they've got. But on the other side as well, you've got. I mean, true grit from Wasps I mean everything on paper was against them from that one they've had a a weird season I would say and an injury hit one and a lot of changes in the pack but certainly some guys in their in their forward pack and uh, really pulled off some heists uh, on that game at the weekend and it's it's just admirable and they they played they tried to to play Leicester at their own game they were kicking long trying to play territory and, and, and had no luck with no success with it in the first half they got lucky with what ended up being a penalty try, where a, a clearance from from Wolstenholme got, got touched in flight, and they ended up, ended up going eighty meters, and, and they they were given the penalty try at the end. It was a it was a fortuitous piece of play. They were sort of down on energy. They weren't making any any ground. They were um, Charlie Atkinson, who I think is a really promising, lovely fly half, but but just looked rusty. He not played for four months, and Leicester should have been further ahead. And then after the interval. Um, was changed the way they played. Uh, Jimmy Gopeth was was taking the ball to the line more. Will Porter came on at scrum half, brought real energy, and th- they were down to the bare bones. Um, Robin Hislop had to start the game at loose head, 
um, promoted off the bench on the morning of the game, injured his knee after eight minutes, soldiered on to about the hour, um, and when they bring on their, their fifth choice academy prop who'd been marmalised by Harlequins last time he played, and somehow that all fed the the emotion and the... And the it's kind of like the, the Alamo, wasn't it? Yeah, the spirit, and, and Leicester had five scrums on, on Wasp's five-metre line, and that's where you felt it was inevitable, and yet somehow from the depths of their of their being and their soul I haven't studied every scrum I'm sure I'm sure I'm sure Ellis Gange will have a few questions about about how once once Wasps were, were on a warning the next two were given as resets um, but they survived it and Alfie Barbary uh, pulled off a, a turnover under his, under the post to crown a, another brilliant performance I thought Dan Frost came on was, was superb at hooker James Gaskell back from injury brought some real wisdom and experience and and it was you know, it, it was as lead back as afterwards. It was a victory founded on emotion, and um, I thought it. Yeah, and fair play to them. I thought it was it was brilliant. I thought I, I think it was emotion, but also um, it's interesting when the when the fifth reserve prop came on, he actually introduced himself to Dan Frost. <laughs> this, uh, I don't believe we met before. Um, the, the, the 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 way that. Um, the, the 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 last two scrums of those of those uh, as you say Alex it was done and dusted they were either going to get a penalty try or they're going to get a try because they but but the way that actually was found a way to go forward or at least the right hand side went forward yeah, in those last two scrums and forced Ben Young to, to, to get the ball out I actually thought fr- frankly it was a emotion but I thought their defensive organisation considering that, that they were really on their backsides and on their uppers in terms of of personnel defensive organisation in the last phases of play was absolutely superb and it got sort of George Ford like twice during, during that last bit he sort of stopped dead because he, no one was sort of com, coming off him and I just I just think that was just a, I just think they're a great club just, as, as a Leicester but yeah, just, I just think it's a great win yeah just, just with that though it's it, it depends which way there are two ways to go now for Wasps with this either you utilise that and you use that as something as a springboard and you go right no, no more talking about the injuries and everything else. We're, we're, we're expecting players to come back, some great players to come back. In fact, um, and and we'll, we'll crack on, or or maybe or they don't use it, and then, then this is the high point of their season. So it's we're interesting now. We're at this precipice of this. The next game in in the league is is the big one for Wasps. How do they u- use this? Yeah, uh, you know, harness this emotional energy because either it's an outburst or it's something special that kickstarts things. And and as you say, there are exciting talents in there, and hopefully just. Thank God we'll see some big names coming back for them. Well, Paolo Odogu is due back within the next fortnight. Joe Launchbury is not far off. Dan Robson's not far Dan off. Dan Robson's not far off. Tom West is, is should Tom, have been Tom back West this week. Tom West would have played, but, but was ill. Yeah, um, Ryan Mills is no fit to play. Yeah. So they 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 they're much better. Yeah, but on on Gopeth, it's it seems like he's off to Leicester next season, um, which which I asked Steve Borthwick about afterwards and. You just said we we talk about announcements when we when we want to make an announcement, but from everything we hear, they they're going to sign Jimmy Gopeth to perform a similar role to that that Richard Wigglesworth is is performing, which is you know an experienced head around the squad, cutting his teeth as a coach, can fill in when Andre Pollard's away with South Africa, can play twelve as well. Yeah. I think I think if that does end up going through, that's a very very smart signing. For Leicester and a and a loss for Wasps because it, I had him marked as as just sort of seamlessly transitioning into the coaching team there. But and this not this might sound very harsh and very uncharitable, but if Jimmy goes, I think this the the focus is very very much then on Wasps and Jacob Umanga 
because I'm not sure, he's a promising lad, I'm not sure if he's the man who's going to take Wasp back to glory at 10. I think he's a little bit sort of uh, full of guts, full of energy, but not quite the, 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 the sort of the, the finished article. And they've got it wrong once with Lima Sopoanga as a 10, and they've got to get it right next year. The other transfer news, if you could call it that, is, is that um, Chris Boyd, isn't going to renew his contract as director of rugby at Northampton at the end of the season, and he'll head back to to New Zealand. Um, they put forty four points on on Newcastle. He's he's incredibly popular um, as a DOR, and it sounds like they might look to to promote from within there. Um, well, certainly, if you if you speak to Chris Boyd, one of the the big directors for them since since he came in was bringing on young English coaches. Yeah. Uh, he's he's talked a lot about that. There's certainly some talent in the room, but. Saints just they need to take a next step. So if that if whoever comes in and takes over, continuity means that you can't you can't say right, okay, well we're starting a new project or that. So you've got to take a step forward. That's that's one to watch over the next few days. Um coming up next, Ross Hamilton, the, the former analyst for England and Saracens, will join us t- to dissect all the tactical trends and statistics from this first half of the Gallagher Premiership season. So Ross, uh, a bit of a layup here, but um, what what trends have we noticed so far at the halfway point of this season? Yeah, yeah. Hi guys. Um, big one for me here is something we call red zone efficiency. Um, red zone efficiency is, is how many points each team comes away with per entry to the red zone, which is the opposition twenty-two. And why we sort of bring this up is what for me the biggest law change that's had the most effect on the game is this being held up over the line and having a goal line dropout. Um, I've got a few stats here to sort of show the relevance and how it's changed. One of them we um, look at is something we correlate. We correlate the stats to winning rugby matches. So it tries to show us which is the most important factors in the game. Now, of course, there are multiple and they're all intertwined, but red zone efficiency comes up every season as the most correlated stat to winning a rugby match. So if you outperform your opposition in the red zone, you're more likely to win that game. So the importance of that hasn't diminished. However, the success probably has dropped a little bit. So I averaged out um, all of the teams and how many times they get into the red zone in the first place. Now that's actually gone up this season. Um, So from 13.4 on average per game last season to 14.7, but their total points have gone down. So their red zone efficiency has gone down as well. Now, last season is 1.62 on average, and this season 1.43. Now, I know those are very small margins as well, and you're thinking that's sort of a tiny difference. If I give you just one real-world example quickly and, and give you the best teams who are performing in this category, last season was Quinns. They averaged 2.1 points per entry, every entry. This season, it's Saracens at 1.68 so that difference is 0.42. But as I said, if, if teams are averaging around 14 entries per game, that makes a difference of 5.9 points per game every game. So six points in, in every match for each team is quite a big difference, even in just winning one match. But if you go and correlate that across the course of the season, that is then a big difference and a big drop-off. And I think for me, all down to that law change. Yeah, looking at your statistics that you've furnished us with here, Ross, I imagine you could assume that Bristol are, are you know, 
you've pointed out that Bristol are the worst here in terms of red zone efficiency. But who's the biggest loser since last season with the, with with this? Statistically, that answer is Exeter, and I think that was perhaps unsurprising because of the way that they played. No surprise again; they've done it for years and been very successful at it. They build pressure in the red zone. They will tap and go from five meters out, play multiple phases and eventually get the score. And that's been taken away from them because if they get held up over the line, um, it's a goal line dropout and they don't just get a five meter scrum again. So statistically, that is the case for Exeter. They averaged 1.99 points per entry last year. And that was second best to Quinns. They're now 1.33 and that puts them in ninth overall for the league. So second to ninth in the, in the course of sort of one season, a half a season, really. It's a hell of a swing, um, isn't it? Huge, huge swing and, and a massive difference. And we said that's a bigger drop than um, than the best ones from Queens to Saracens. So how many points that actually equates to exit to losing out on every game is huge. And obviously that um, has a factor in them winning matches. Just on that, Ross, um, you, you mentioned there a, a, a few times the, the law change in the, the, the dropout situation. Uh, have there been any other uh, in consequences from that change? Yes, for me, that change came in, that law came in to force teams to be a little bit more expansive. Um, you can't see me, but I'm doing this in inverted commas to be a little bit less boring. Just picking going multiple phases around the try line every single time with a scrum to reset just became a little bit too much, perhaps. So they wanted teams to test themselves, to stretch themselves, score tries perhaps quicker where they could. And we have certainly seen that. So one of the stats that we have available to us is uh, scoring tries by phase. So we have all the phases that you can have in a game. You can have obviously up to 20, 30 phases in a possession. And then just where the tries are scored in that. So I looked at tries scored within three phases. So a fairly quick turnaround from the start of your possession to the end of it, and whether a try was scored in three phases. At this point last season, halfway through, they'd scored, all teams had scored 208 tries. This point in the season, it's 305. So nearly 100 more at the same point in the season. And to give that a bit of context as well, that's 47% increase. I mean, 47% increase for anything is enormous if you were thinking of a five percent ten percent increase that's a pretty big deal you're nearly um, at 50 percent increasing that number is certainly a notable shift and i think clearly again it's linked to that i don't think that's come from nowhere it's forced those teams to score earlier be more clinical play the ball out wide where there's a little bit more space not just repeatedly go through phases trying to break them down because there's actually so much risk there in getting held up over the line now it's, a, it's an interesting byproduct, that isn't it? I, I remember speaking recently to Tony Brown, who's the Highlanders coach and Japan assistant coach, and he was talking about how Japan from 2019 onwards, all they wanted to do was try and get strike moves. They wanted to score as early as possible from phase play, and every every set piece they did, they wanted to score almost immediately, and which seems like a, a a cultural change within the game, and it seems like people were picking it up and running with it just from that, Ross. Um, who do we see creating the most try scoring opportunities and if there's different ways of getting into that because there's more than one way to skin a cat? Certainly, yes. I mean, penalties, discipline is still a huge factor of the game. And if we're talking about sort of red zone efficiency being the highest correlator to winning matches, that's still important. Um, so I had a look at um, sort of who used their penalties the best or got into the right areas the most. 
Um, and then what those teams do with that off the back of that, because having the chance in the first place is one thing, but scoring it is another. Um, so of all the penalties that the team have, Sale kick the most into the 22. So 66% of all their penalties are kicked into the 22. So they give themselves a lot of opportunities. And just to give you a second and third for that, Exeter at 63%, Gloucester at 63% as well. So those teams are really looking to utilise their possession and penalties to get into the right areas. Now, off the back of that, a lot of teams have a lot of lineouts in that area um, and some really good success rates, but they're not always converting that into tries. And why we're sort of talking about this point is that tries from lineout is a specific source, the original source. That doesn't necessarily mean directly from a mall. It just means a lineout in the first place. Um, is still the highest factor or stat to scoring tries. So 54% of all tries come from lineouts, and that is across multiple sources of scrums, restarts, taps, turnovers, kicks. So 54% from just one source is a, is a huge amount and, again, one of the most important factors. So Leicester have a lot of lineouts in the 22. Wasps actually have the best success in the 22 in terms of winning their lineouts. Leicester very high up there. One thing I wanted to point out here was linking back to our points earlier with Exeter. Exeter really are struggling in the 22 and it links into their platform in the first place. So, as I mentioned, they kick a lot of penalties to touch. They have a lot of lineouts in the 22 in the first place, but they languish down in 12th for lineout success. They've actually lost the most lineouts in the 22 in the Premiership with 10 and only wish to have a worse lineout success overall. So they're really struggling in terms of getting their platform in the first place, losing the ball before they even get a chance to go at the line. However, then if we look at the opposite of that, somebody I haven't mentioned so far in this section is Saracens. Saracens don't necessarily kick the most penalties into the 22, don't have the most opportunities in, line in lineouts, don't have the best success rate in terms of winning the lineout initially, but they convert the most into scores, which is the whole point of everything. You can have as many opportunities and chances as you want, but it's all about converting that into tries. So of the lineouts that Saracens have within the 22, 43% of those times of those lineouts are converted into a try. And again, as a, as a strike rate, that's pretty high for one source. Ross, we've talked a lot about the the law change um, with the goal line dropout, but on the subject of lineouts, how much has, has the 50-22 law change impacted the way that, that teams are, are playing this season um, in terms of I don't know, chances created, points scored from them, that kind of thing? I think it's certainly changed the way teams play. I don't think it's necessarily created many more try-scoring opportunities directly from the 50-22, if you see what I mean by that. And I'll go through some examples. Um, there have been 29... 50-22 kicks so far at this point in the season after round 13. So that's 76 games that have been played. Um, Bristol have the most with five, but Sale, for example, have had zero. Leicester at the top of the table have only had one 50-22 kick. Saracen's only two. Um, and then to give that even more context, the a total amount of lineouts in the 22 within the Premiership so far is 739. So 29 of those lineouts coming from 50-22 kicks accounts for less than 4%. So it's not necessarily their tactical element that they're trying to gain that lineout. It's obviously a bonus, sure, but it's not giving them the type of platform that they'll be setting out to achieve by a 50-22 kick. 
I don't think it's sort of much of a surprise. I think we all thought this going into the start of the season with the law change. But what that will do is uh, many teams will have to defend the 50-22 kick, which creates space in the pitch in the first place. So teams playing wider, kicks over the top, that sort of thing. That's where the difference in play has become, not necessarily the outcome itself from the 50-22 kick originally. Just wondering, Ross, if there's if there's anything else from at uh, this mid-season point that, that that really stands out to you, or any teams that you think are sort of been surprise packages so far. Well, I mean, obviously, don't not so surprise the Leicester were unbeaten before this weekend. I uh, don't think anybody saw that coming. Um, not necessarily league-wide trends, but I certainly see that they have changed their style a huge amount. And again, I think it's a surprise that that's perhaps a little bit like Saracens used to play with Borthwick at the helm. They very much rely on a very strong defence, kick the ball away. They play with the least amount of possession. They're happy to have the least amount of carries, make the least amount of metres in the premiership, but they kick the most. And that just gives them field position, playing in the right areas of which they can then capitalise once their opposition make errors under their defensive pressure. Again, nothing new. We see that from Saracens in years gone by. We'd like to think that Leicester might improve sort of their um, attacking stats perhaps a bit quicker than Saracens did at that time. They are now very good at it. Um, but that is a huge difference in terms of Leicester and why they are being so successful so far this season for me. Thanks very much, Ross. And, and we're, we're going to put um, all the, the charts and tables of stats um, that Ross has just been talking about on on all our various social media feeds, just for anyone who wants to to, to have an, an eye on them while they're, while they're listening to Ross's analysis um, which I thought was excellent now coming up next on the ruck Jess Hayden will give her roundup of the Alliance Premier 15s and we'll have our God or Goddess of the Week The Premier 15s returned for the first time in 2022 but just six teams were in action over the weekend following the postponement of Wasps versus Loughborough Lightning and Harlequins versus Worcester Warriors due to a number of players who tested positive for Covid Despite reigning champions Harlequins being out of action, it was a week of high scores and drama at both the top and bottom of the table. Round 10 kicked off with a West Country derby as Gloucester Hartbury put five tries past Bristol Bears to win 36-14 and move up to fifth place in the table. Next up, Exeter Chiefs won 43-7 against Sale Sharks. The Devon side now sits second in the table but must now prepare to face a well-rested Harlequins side next. And finally, one of the biggest score differences in Premier 15's history, as Saracen scored 18 tries to beat DMP Durham Sharks 104-0. Saracens now sit two points clear at the top of the table with a game in hand, but these results are a bad advert for the women's game and reflect the gulf between the top and bottom sides. It's worth remembering that DMP, who do sit bottom of the table, are an entirely amateur squad with little infrastructure around the women's setup paired against world-class and often semi-professional, if not fully professional, opposition. DMP players took to Instagram to ask people to stop sending them abuse, and while abuse is never warranted, there certainly needs to be a further discussion about the merits of their inclusion in this league, as scorelines such as this do little to help them or further the women's game. Next week, all teams should hopefully be back in action, as well as Exeter versus Harlequins, there's Gloucester Hartby versus Sale Sharks, Worcester Warriors versus Wasps, DMP versus Bristol Bears, and finally, Loughborough Lightning versus Saracens. Thank you, Jess. And to round off our halfway pod, we have our weekly feature 
Gordon Gordetta of the week. Although I think, Al, you've, you're taking the Mark Evans route and giving us a devil of the week. Well, I did think about it. Um, at the weekend, <laughs> we saw the, the first uh, iteration of uh, Japan's League One uh, rugby and uh, and the second division of that uh, my if I was to pick a devil of the week it would be the person that thought it was okay for the Sky Actives <laughs> and Hino Red Dolphins to wear the exact same, same kit, kit playing against you so that must have been fun viewing oh, um, however goodness. in the end I did I did think oh mate let's go the positive route and there are, there are a couple of options for, for God of the Week for me in the top 14 the, uh, beloved madhouse that it is uh, Demba Bamba almost intercepted a, a ball at the weekend wearing no shirt uh, which was exceptional but actually um, remember Vasily Artemyev yes he played for Northampton on the wing on the wing R- Russian yeah. hero he is now the presenter of Russia's version of the Ninja Warrior and he is my god of the week because what a segue from a rugby playing career that is nice Steve? Al's gone mate <laughs> completely gone we started with WWE don't, don't, and now him, we've got... don't ask him again for god's okay. sake he's completely nuts um, oh that was a good one Mine is unquestionably the man who's on everyone's lips, not, not really. B. Allo. B. Allo. B. has been through a number of clubs, has never been a starter. He's always seems to be under pressure and is gutsing things out. But against Was, he was one of the, four, the front row that had never met before or hardly met before. And in the last two scrums of the game... He, when he'd gone backwards and backwards, he from somehow, with his with his colleagues, with his cronies, made some ground on his side and disrupted the heel that was obviously going to be a try. Ben Youngs had to play the ball, and late earlier on in in that move, B appeared on the right wing and made an unbelievable props tackle on a back. So to typify the was heroism, I've got the was reserve tight head B yellow. Brilliant. I like that. Um, I uh, would want to give a, a mention to Ryan Mills, who made his, his comeback for Wasps yesterday after eighteen about 18 months of horrific um, ill fortune and, uh, and injury. Um, and he got a lovely reception from the, the crowd in, in Coventry and, and, and well-deserved. And as we said earlier, they've got some other some other players who've, who've, who go through similar tricky journeys, Launchbury and Jack Willis, and we hope they're back soon as well. But I think I'll give mine to George Skivington for heading up the Gloucester revival, for heading up everything that we we discussed earlier, and um, making the the Rolling Mall a thing of beauty in the Premiership once again. Um, so everyone, I think that. All right. Um, everyone, thank, thanks for joining us. Um, we've, we're halfway through the Prem season. We're heading into Europe, and then the Six Nations. We will be with you all the way on the ruck. Al, Steve, thank you. Um, Everyone, please like, subscribe, follow, whatever you need to do on all your podcast platforms and we'll be back with you next week.